long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. This is Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and with me is my co-pilot, who is cooler than a porg doing backflips on top of BB-8. It's Lindsay. <laughs> I've, my worst fear is that one day you're going to make me come up with something. <laughs> Just, and there's no way I can ever top anything you come up with. I'm not going to lie. Most of the time I have something prepared, um, but I kind of forgot to prepare something because I'm a professional. And so I have a Porg and a BB-8 sitting on my desk, and that's how I came up with this. So you just got to let yourself oh, okay. just just go. Just go with it. So, Lindsay. Well, I'm, I'm happy it wasn't anything lame sitting on your desk then. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, the power of myth. Oh, wait. No, that's not lame. That doesn't count. Uh, I don't even know. I have so much cool stuff on my desk. It's like overwhelming. Now I can't think of anything lame. I've got so many awesome. Star Wars is great. Did you guys know that? Star Wars is really good. Star Wars I'm is good. I'm a fan. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. So before we uh, like jump into our normal stuff, I do want to mention, if you haven't had the chance to go listen to the most recent episode of Clashing Sabers, we had Katie from... Uh, the Wampas Lair and Brian Balance from the Dorky Diva podcast, and we talked all about the Phantom Menace, and we announced a contest that we are having to win a Phantom Menace Qui Gon Jinn. It's one of the the figures that looks like it's on a Kenner uh, backs, but it's one of the newer figures, obviously because it's Qui Gon Jinn. Um, all in mint condition, all good to go. All you have to go do is leave us a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and. Just drop us a line on the Twitter or at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com, and we'll pick a winner at the end of the month. We already have, I know Rural Farm Boy uh, has already entered, and we have some others, so make sure you jump over there and enter that. But I really have to take a moment, Lindsay, because I almost didn't get to record this podcast today. Because Why? What happened? I, I was very emotional. Um, Mark tried to ruin my life. Once again. <laughs> As Mark does. What did he do now? Episode 9 of Forever Star Wars. Oh, my land. Oh. Have you had the chance to listen to it yet? I haven't, no. Oh, my. Is it going to ruin my life, too? In the best way possible. In all the best ways possible. Just have a box of tissues. Don't listen to it while you're driving because you won't be able to see the road. That's, that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, no so this is maybe something I should do after work, not on my way into work. Yeah, probably not. It's going to be one of those. It, it's going to be kind of like when I watched Kanan die before I went to work. Spoiler alert. And then Ooh. the rest of the day, all I could think about was a fictional character's death. And I was not an effective teacher at that point. So, yeah, definitely give that a listen. Um, okay, cheap plug time is over. Lindsay, what's up with you? Well, actually, there's something that I've been excited to talk to you about. Ooh. And I was going to text you right when we got the news and got a little more news later on. But I figured I would wait until we were uh, chatting tonight because I want to hear what you think about the um, Alphabet Squadron comic book that's coming out to accompany the actual book that you and I ridiculed the title of endlessly. And I plan on continuing to to 
just rag on that title over and over again, and now they're giving me three books to do it, so that wasn't a good choice on their part. Um, but <laughs> I'm actually, like like I said when we first talked about it, I'm excited about this book. Um, I'm not the biggest like Starfighter fan. Uh, Fode from Fode and Bead's Star podcast is trying to get me into the X-Wing novels. He's sending me the, the first one in that series, and I'm going to check that out, and that might might change my opinion but just overall i'm not like super big into the space battles i kind of skimmed through those but since they're putting such an emphasis behind this um it it really did get me excited and you know i kind of have a a weird relationship with alexander freed because of battlefront one i we've talked about it before i just really it's the only book in the canon that i just absolutely do not like the other ones heir to the jedi even certain point of view certain point of view i rag on but like most of it's okay, um, but this one, Battlefront Two, I just I just don't like because it's not it's just not my thing. And if it is your thing, then that's awesome. And please tweet at us and let us know why Battlefront One is your thing because I want to hear uh, other sides. But, but Al- <laughs> we can't figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Alexander Freed wrote that one, and so then he wrote the Rogue One novelization, and I was like, damn, like the Rogue One movie, amazing. Now the Rogue One novelization is gonna stink because all I had. Uh, about from Alexander Freed was that one book, you know, and you kind of get that opinion. And he absolutely blew my mind with uh, the Rogue One novelization. That's up there in one of my favorite. It's probably my favorite novelization that's not called Revenge of the Sith. And it's one of my my favorite books. I've read it like three times. So he really did something amazing with that, which made me kind of reanalyze whether I liked Alexander Freed. And so now that he's not only got one book, but three books, I got to admit, I'm super excited because my thinking is they announced one book, right? And that story couldn't be contained in one book, so it had to be three books, which is a very Star Wars thing. It's very Star Wars to be like, here's a story. Oh, wait, we can't all fit it in this one thing? Okay, we'll make it more stories. It's very Star Wars. Here's one story times three. Yeah, exactly. And then my biggest thing um, is I really do want them to be crossovers. I don't want it to be like, hey, there's this one character that's in the other book because, like, we've done that before. I want them to actually depend on each other to fully understand. I think that would be super, super cool. Um, It's a way to get people from the comics over into the novels, the novels over into the comics, which both are doing doing absolutely excellent things. But I have have an actual question uh, for you, Lindsay, because now I'm not that smart, okay? So I look at this cover. And it's a gorgeous cover. The cover's beautiful. But the, the the main character, is she human or is she an alien? I can't tell if she's like a, a Dryden Voss type humanoid that looks human but is an alien. Is it just me or is that kind of like, is her image no, off a little I'm bit? I'm kind of there, right there with you. And I mean, I at least hope they kind of did that on purpose because if we're getting this character and we can't even figure out if it's human or not, it might... You know, it might make it more intriguing, but it's probably just going to disconnect me a little bit. But no, you're totally right. It's absolutely stunning artwork. So it took me a little bit to realize I have no idea what that is. Yeah, and my big hope is that if she's not a human, which is totally cool. I think an alien front is is great. I think we need to get an alien front at more more stories because kind of like Ahsoka, which we're going to talk about today... It gives everybody an avenue to come in because it's it's not about seeing yourself in the skin color, which is is one thing and it is an important thing, but it's about seeing yourself in the heart of the character, which I think is is 
immensely more important. Um, but I think one of the things I I don't like about how Solo handled it is it was to me it was not very clear the first time that Dryden Voss was an alien. Now with repeat viewings, you kind of notice his face and things like that. But I kind of wish they had gone with the original intention and gone full bore alien. I know originally he was supposed to be uh, Zeb's species and the yeah. you know the Lasat and so so anyways. Point being, yeah, I, I hope they it was they really level more it out. Of a timing with the reshoots and everything, but my thought is though, with the Alphabet Squadron cover that we got, it's almost like an optical illusion. Yeah, because when you first look at it, you're like, yeah, of course that's a human, but it's like as you start to kind of stare at it, it almost like changes. It has like a a cat like feature to it. Almost. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say lizard, but I guess cat. I can see. Does. I can see that. I can see yeah. that. She reminds it's me. Of, she reminds me of the um, the Zygerian. Oh God, that's a terrible analogy to make. But kind of, you know how the Zygerians are very cat-like. She's she's got kind of the same cut to her face, I think. But it's gonna be weird, whatever yeah. it is. It's, but yeah, I hope uh, if if it is some kind of hybrid, they do a little bit more fleshing out of it than uh, Dryden Voss. Yeah, and we learn now that she is an Imperial who left um and, and joined the rebellion so if she is an alien we know from the thrawn novels that that is a rare thing in the empire um so that makes her even more unique so yeah it definitely got me significantly more excited about this book this book was kind of like something I'm like okay you like i'm gonna read it because you know the show and i want to read everything um but now i'm kind of like ooh, okay and maybe i'm gonna this might be a comic that I actually buy issue by issue. I usually wait for the trade paperback so I can just read it all at once. But um, Did you happen to see who the original author of the comic books were going to be? I did not. It, this is the project that Chuck Wendig was working on. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, now he I'm... tweeted that, and I, I was kind of just like, Chuck, go Go back in your room. <laughs> Go back in your We've hole. We've been there and for a leave. reason. Come yes. on, we're we're done with this. Stop, stop trying to start more fights. Oh, man, that makes me happy in the most selfish way possible. I'm not gonna lie, it really does. It it does. It kind of intrigues me a little bit more. And honestly, I think just his style and how he gets characters out there. I think this is better off in someone else's hands. Do we sure. know officially who that other person is? Oh, we do. Let me look. Because I was thinking Charles... I kind of want Charles Sewell to do all the comics now after the Darth Vader line. I know. I don't think you're alone on that one at all. We're going to have to circle circle back around to to do those comics because the the original Vader line and the 2017 Vader line are like almost night and day for me in terms of how much I love it. Um, And if they were ever going to adapt a comic book into a film or into a TV series, or anything like that, you, you have to... That's the one. Yeah, that's the one you have to do, absolutely. For sure. Any uh, any luck on the, the author front? No, no luck on the author front, but I really do think they did... Because, see, that's one thing I thought was really missing, um, was, was that. But, you know, they might be kind of letting it simmer a little bit that Alexander Freed's getting three books because he is, he's a heavy hitter, you know, as far as uh, the authors. We we don't have a lot of repeat authors. Um, scratch that. We don't have a lot of repeat male authors outside of, like, people who wrote trilogies like Wendig and Timothy Zahn. Yeah, like, yeah. he's kind of the, 
he's kind of the new breed uh, on the male front. And we, of course, have a fantastic female front uh, that has come through with, with Christy Golden and Claudia Gray and Delilah Dawson and all that. So it's exciting. It's exciting. So, sure. And I did find it is Jody Hauser doing the comic series. The only thing it looks like she's ever done for Star Wars in the comic world other than this, um, the Thrawn adaptation and the Rogue One adaptation. So this is probably going to be the first real original thing. Okay, so I'm not a... I, I shouldn't say I'm not a huge fan. I haven't actually read the the Thrawn um, adaptation. Yeah, I, I, I would one. see this as more of like her debut since yeah. it's more original. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think it's going to be exciting. I, I really like that they're telling such a variety of stories. Um, and so people like my friend Fode can get their Starfighter love in there. And then people, you know, like me can hopefully learn to love it. We'll have to see how, uh, how these authors do on it and how they execute on that. And who knows, maybe there'll be some cool connection to resistance. You know, we get something in there and we're like, Oh, maybe we, how cool would it be if they like found the fireball and had to hijack the fireball like 20 years ahead? (laughs) Oh, that would be cool. Time will tell though. We'll see. That would be pretty cool. But Lindsay, do you know what's really cool? Like, really, really, really cool? What's really, really, really cool? Like, tattoo it on your body. It's the best thing ever. Really cool? <laughs> what? What's that? Ahsoka. It is. And it's funny you say that, since I did tattoo it on my body. Yes, and I'm going to get it tattooed on my body. I Are you definitely? Oh, no, I'm definitely doing it. My plan is going opening night to see episode nine and then going to get my Ahsoka tattoo afterwards. Love it. So it's going to be Love it. It's going to be a nice way to wrap it up. But we're, of course, talking about, as the title probably showed you or told you, uh, we're talking about the Ahsoka novel today. So, Lindsay, first of all, let's just start off with with overall impressions of the the book. What are, what are your overall thoughts on this novel? Because it kind of got a mixed reaction when it first came out. So where do you it stand did. on it? did, and I think the reason – I think I finally figured out the reason why it got the mixed reactions – And I would say that it is, to me, a great book because it's Ahsoka. If you had put this story in with any other Jedi or if it were any character other than Ahsoka, I don't think it's a strong enough story to really stand on its own. But because it's her and because it's this character, I think it's fantastic. I think the other reason, too, why it's so good to me is it is the perfect bridge between Clone Wars and Rebels. Because when we last see Ahsoka in Clone Wars, and when we first see her in Rebels, it is such a drastic difference. It is such a different character. It's And you sit there and wonder for a minute, like, how did this happen? This is almost a total 180. It's, 180. it's not just that she grew up, and it's not just that she matured. She really changed. And I think this book does a very good job of starting to explain how those changes took place and why they took place. Yeah, and of course, like, we were supposed to get more Clone Wars, so that was supposed to fill in some of it. We'll definitely get some of it um, coming up in Season 7 of Clone Wars, uh, which, oh my god, that's this year. Oh my god, that's amazing. Star Wars is great. But I think one thing that that this book did for me was it it gave me the unexpected because, I mean, 
Seriously, you you put Ahsoka on a pile of dog poop, and I'm gonna grab a spoon and eat it up. Okay, so <laughs> and say it was delicious because it would be. Okay, it would be. But this book was sold to me just with the title. Like I was pumped, mm-hmm. and then I'm not gonna lie. The first time I read it through, I, I don't want to say I was disappointed, but I was kind of thrown off until those last moments. The last, like, 40, 50 pages with the, with the end adventure and the lightsabers, which I'm sure we'll jump into later, really blew my mind and saved the book for me. But then as I've gone through, I've now read it two or three times, plus I've listened to the audiobook because, you know, I'm insane. And I can really say I really love this book. It, it fits for her character. Um, that she would be the person to be out there helping the little people, you know, and Kanan and, and Ezra were more of those characters, more of those Jedi getting the rebellion prepared for the coming of Luke Skywalker. And then I think Ahsoka is really the one who's there for the individuals, the little people, which I think fits very well with the character that we see in Clone Wars and then very well with the end we see for her in Rebels. It's still all about the individuals which is a very anakin trait but she does it in a in a much better way so as we were kind of prepping for the show uh, earlier today you mentioned that you think there's kind of a three-act structure to this so i'm gonna throw it to you and i'm gonna let you take the reins and guide this conversation uh with that three-act structure yeah for sure and it's funny too because when i'm thinking about how i would separate this into the three acts they're all centered around what you just said which is that Ahsoka really does kind of look out for the little guy and her main focus and her main drive. Anytime we've seen her from Clone Wars through this story all the way through Rebels, her main focus is how do I protect the people around me, especially when they can't protect themselves. So while I'm keeping that in mind, she does it three different ways. And when we're in the first section of the book, she's still trying to protect people around her. But because she's so at this point scared and she's so broken and she almost forgot who she was, she tries to protect these people by hiding who she is. And we see it when she leaves the Farties for the first time. And we see it when she's setting up a cave just for herself when she first lands on... Uh, what's the plan is called? Rada? Yeah, Rada. Rada. Yeah. See, this is why I need the audiobooks. <laughs> like you. I'm, I have no idea how to pronounce anything. I, um, the first time I read the book through, I really tried like every other way to say farty other than farty. And <laughs> you can't do it. It's it. It stinks. You can't do it. But I'm oh, pun okay. intended. All right. Yes, very much so. Continue yeah, with what yeah, you were yeah. saying with your intelligent conversation that I interrupted with fart <laughs> jokes. Fart jokes begin. Um, yeah, but that would I would say Act One. Act One is Ahsoka protecting people by hiding who she is. Act Two then starts when she really slowly starts to embrace her former life, not as a Jedi, but as a commander in the Clone Wars. So all of a sudden now she feels like she can protect these people who she's starting to care about from this imperial possible threat by coming up with these strategies. And she starts to take that cave she set up for herself and open it up to other people. 
have this stockpile of food going, have these medical supplies ready to go. And she's starting to think more and more like the commander in the Clone War, Ahsoka. And that's how she's going to start protecting these innocent people. Finally, though, that final act that you love so much, you know, those last 40, 50 pages where she has those lightsabers and she is using the force again. This is when she has fully embraced who she is. And she has this conversation with Bale where she now can settle the difference and she can figure out, okay, this is who I was. I understand I can't fully be that person in public anymore, but I can still use these things that I've learned and these talents I have to create a new life and help people this way. So just to sum it up, I would say the three act structure, every act centers around how she's protecting people, whether it is act one, she's hiding who she is to protect them. Act two, she is embracing the military side of her or act three, when she's finally fully come to grips with who she is and who she, who she can who she can become. And it's kind of interesting that she starts the story out calling herself Ashla, right? Which of course mm-hmm. is an allusion to the original draft of Star Wars which had the Ashla and the Bogan Force. Um, so you kind of have the past there in, in a Star Wars sense. And then you get to you know the middle act and she doesn't use Ashla as much anymore, or at least we don't hear her referred to as Ashla as much anymore because it's it's really focusing on these adventures that she's on. And then the final the final one, the final act is she not only reveals herself as my name's Ahsoka, this is who I really am, but then she takes on the new name of Fulcrum, right? And mm-hmm. we get uh, a little tidbit here about what happens before this story even starts and why she's in hiding and how she's in hiding. And it's because her and Rex faked uh, fake their death at the siege of Mandalore. So this story really is kind of a, a death and rebirth of Ahsoka, which is needed because like you said, she's so different when we see her in rebels and rebels is my favorite form of Ahsoka. I connect with her the most as that, that teacher. Um, and so I really liked seeing how she got there. Um, And I think one of the things that they've done really well with um, some of these newer characters and really just the animated characters overall uh, is is show these mentors who are extremely flawed um, but still work to do the best. We see that a lot with Kanan, um, and we're seeing that a lot with Ahsoka now, is she's that character who can make the mistake and then go, okay, I made the mistake. Here's the adjustment I can make. Whereas I don't think an Obi-Wan can do that as much. Or I, I don't think Obi-Wan does that as much. He kind of makes his mistake and then he keeps kind of pushing forward, making the same mistake, hoping he gets lucky the next time. Um, whereas Ahsoka here shows like, oh, maybe hiding myself isn't the best way to do it. Okay, so then I help people. Well, now I'm helping people, but it's causing more of an upstart and I'm going to end up getting caught and not really do any good overall. So then she finds her, her place as Fulcrum. Yeah, and it's it's cool, too, because she's able to kind of do this without a mentor figure in the book. You know, you had just mentioned, like, yeah, Star Wars is so important because they give us those mentors. And we see that relationship. And certainly in The Last Jedi, especially, that really hit home. But what's cool about this book specifically is she doesn't have that mentor. 
And that's why it's so hard for her. And maybe that's why she's more open to trial and error because she doesn't have a Qui-Gon Jinn and she no longer has the Anakin Skywalker or the Yoda to say, hey, this might not be the best way. The only way for her to figure out what is right or wrong is by fully committing to it for at least a little bit and then figuring out on her own. And when you don't have that mentor figure, I guess you have to be a little bit more flexible and a little bit more open-minded to your mistakes. Yeah, and you have to be willing to make those mistakes, right? Because that's one of that's one of the hardest things about like being on your own, right? Like when you become an adult, you think you're prepared, right? You're 18, you're young, you're naive, you're going off. Oh yeah, no, I know. I got to eat three times a day. I got to pay my bills. And and then you actually have to do it. And it's kind of like a punch in the face. You're like, wait, hold on. I went to school for how long? And I don't know how to balance a check. What? I don't know how to pay my taxes. What? <laughs> and none of this matters anymore. <laughs> right. Exactly. Hold on. Wait, where's the Pyth- Pythagorean theorem? I, th- I I thought I was supposed to do that a lot. I did it a lot in algebra, right? And you have to really figure it out by trial and error. And for some of us, that's, you know, a very drastic fall and a very drastic rise. For some of us, it's a little more subtle. But I think Ahsoka is is a perfect example to kind of see that, right? Because you have, like you said, the the side of how she identifies herself, um, which is more of a subtle thing that I didn't even really notice until you mentioned it. But then you have the drastic of... Okay, she's in hiding, doing no good. Now she's trying to do good everywhere. And then she comes back down to realizing maybe it's the the individual that I need to help. And it's just, like I said, it's the little people. Now, were you at any point, though, frustrated with her? Yes. Especially in the beginning while she was kind of trying to figure all this out and doing that trial by error. Were you ever frustrated with her? Um, The part I was really frustrated with was more so when she was out doing those acts that we we didn't get more of those because I felt like that was really lacking. Um, I felt like I didn't really feel why she gave up what she was doing. Like, you would Bail is one thing, but she never really had a super close relationship with Bail, right? So I don't feel like him just showing up and being like, hey, you should help us out is going to completely change her. I, th- I think... We need to see her seeing what she's doing failing, right? Um, and not just somebody say like, hey, the Empire is going to catch you. Um, so that was my, my biggest thing with this is we didn't get to really see, I don't think, that, that turning point where she really failed on the little missions that she was doing as she was uh, smuggling and gallivanting a- across the galaxy. And so I don't think I was really frustrated with her. I think I was more frustrated with wanting more for for that section interesting because i would have said i would have wanted less of that section because at this point i was very invested in her relationships with you know kaden and mira and um what was the nira nira yeah that sounds right yeah yeah i was really invested in those relationships so to take those detours the sense that I got was it was taking weeks. So I was kind of sitting there reading it like, why are you doing this? Like there's something bigger that you committed to already. You have to go get back to this. This just seems like a waste of time almost. I understand in retrospect why it was important 
and why she felt like she had to do it. But at least the first time I was reading it, I was kind of just like, oh, there's something better that you're supposed to be doing and you're just not doing it. Yeah, I think really the part that that got me maybe feeling a little bit closer to that feeling was when she kind of um, led the farmers on on Rada to to revolt, but not to not do it up front, right? They to slow the crops down, to mm-hmm. work less, to get injured, or, or whatever you know the thing she she encouraged them to do to kind of push the empire away. It was like wait a minute, did you not just see like that the Empire slaughtered thousands of people in a matter of minutes with no care in the world? And you think slowing down farming on a backwater planet that literally does not matter is going to do something? Like that... I don't think I was frustrated because I, I'm i like, okay, this is a mistake that she has to make, you know? Um, mm-hmm. because I think that, that kind of goes back to the Onderon arc, you know, where she's trying to more subtly, uh, get the budding rebellion there to, to get their feet under them and to kind of lead them. Um, I think that's kind of the mindset that she had going into that, but I was like, man, this is, this is not going to work. This is not how the empire functions. And, um, you kind of have to meet that brute force with brute force to some extent, um, so that was definitely frustrating to me now that I, I think back on it. Um, but I, I can't, I'm, I'm really surprised that you don't want more of those missions because I actually have in my notes, I would really love like a, a fulcrum comic series or something where we see those little missions, you know, and see her. Oh, afterwards for sure. But at the time, it's kind of just like, get back to the, the main purpose that you're supposed to be serving here. And I mean, so I actually do, though, want to go back to you feeling like her smaller acts of rebellion aren't enough. Because the way I saw that was more of her testing the waters and starting to slowly ease back into who she was. And at this point in the story, I think there's such a focus on the ability to put certain things aside that she can't do anything about and focus on what she can do. You know, there's this one part where she's running along and it says, you know, Ahsoka put us, put aside her anger. It would do her no good in coming in the coming confrontation. She also put aside her desperation to make sure Caden was all right. And every thought about her failures over the past year. She focused on her strengths, her speed, adaptability, and familiarity with military procedure. That was going to get them through this. And I think that really sums up that whole part really well, where now she's starting to think to herself, okay, there is something I can do. And if I focus on certain aspects of myself and who I am, I can have a real difference here. And her having the smaller mission and slowing down the crop, I think was just the breaking point in how she was going to start feeling comfortable there. Yeah. And I think maybe the, the missions that she was going on before she actually met Bale, if it's, if it is her testing the waters, I don't think it's a, a, a conscious effort to test the waters. I think it's something in her subconscious where 
that's just the kind of character that Ahsoka is. You know, that's what what attracts us to her is she's flawed, but also she tries to be the best version of herself at all times, which is something we all aspire to, right? So, um, but then I I would think kind of the end part of the book, like you were saying, where she she does put aside the anger and all of that stuff is really her first testing. I I think the the end portion of this book, you could say, is really her testing the waters, you know? Um, As much as it is her coming into herself as fulcrum, um, she's, if things had failed on Rada, if she had not been able to save them, like you don't get a fulcrum. Um, and how different would the rebellion be, right? Because she's kind of who brought them all together, even though she was doing it from behind the scenes. I want to jump to uh, to that meeting with Bale because that was one of the most interesting uh, parts in the book for me. Because you, it, early in the book, you have her talking to the Phantom of R2-D2 and... Then you get the return of R2-D2 and the, the reuniting of Snips and R2-E. Uh, and I just, I just loved that Ahsoka just came in, knocked the two guys out, and uh, went about her business. I thought it was absolutely perfect. Um, and, and I thought it really fit with the character of Bale that they are developing, where he kind of sat back in and observed. It, I think it connects perfectly with uh, episode two of Star Wars Rebels, which is the droids in distress episode, uh, where Bale first starts getting the information about uh, the ghost crew and, and how they're leading uh, the little rebellion on, on Lothal. So what were, your, what were your impressions of that particular section of the book? I actually really enjoyed Bale throughout this whole book. I like what they're doing with his character in the, I obviously can't say expanded universe, but in these smaller one-offs that we see of him, I mean, even just the episodes of Clone Wars he's in, this book, Princess of Alderaan, Rebels, I think anytime we see Bale, they use him really sparingly, but in a strong way. And he he's a character that still kind of has that gravitas, but they don't overdo it at all. I think he, that whole part, on paper, if you were to just say, hey, we're going to have Bale come into the story and he is going to be the real catalyst for Ahsoka and he's really going to be the one to get things going... If you had said it to me before, I would have been like, what the hell are you thinking? That doesn't make any sense. They don't have that relationship. He's not that kind of guy. Like, what the hell is going on? But the way E.K. Johnston did it and the way she was able to set up that relationship where maybe there wasn't enough trust at the beginning, but there was just enough of a common thread to open up the discussion played off really, really well. And one thing that I've kind of think, been thinking about uh, as we get more of the stuff around Bale, um, and we see, like you said, how integral he is to making those connections between people. You know, that was his, I would say that is, is, is his biggest strength is making those connections with people and finding the common ground, which is a very Padme thing, by the way. Uh, but I, I wonder so much if Mon Mothma had not been in return of the jedi and anybody else had been in return of the jedi anybody else who didn't have such a presence as mon mothma has in that film even for the one scene that she's in it does bale become the mon mothma you know because he is becoming so important 
Um, and, and, and we know Mon Mothma is important because of bloodline um, and, and that really after she left, the Republic started to crumble uh, beneath the weight of its own ego. But man, Bale is just, he's becoming more, he's becoming kind of that cornerstone of the rebellion, you know, um, that everything gets built on top of. He is, it's almost like he was the cornerstone in the secretive sense, whereas Mon Mothma seems like the one who puts her face on things a little bit more. It's like he is the entire parliament while she's the Queen of England. Yeah, or in in a Star Wars sense, he's kind of like the Ahsoka while she's the Princess Leia. You know? Yeah, because that's a good way to put it. Leia, not, to, not to downplay anything Leia did, but... No, 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 no. But is the true hero of the rebellion in those early days. It, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I think even through uh, through Rebels and... There's a there's an old article I wrote um, regarding her staying on Malachor, um, where I think she is the metaphorical light that keeps the darkness, or excuse me, the light in the darkness of Darth Vader, um, and she stays there on Malachor to keep that light sparking and going until Luke and Leia can take the torch, and you know we all know how that ends. So. Um, another thing I really wanted to to get into today, because we are in the year of our Lord, Dave Filoni, and it is coming, ladies and gentlemen, season seven of Clone Wars is coming, finally! Yes. So, we, we kind of have an idea of where season seven is going, um, and we kind of are leading to the Siege of Mandalore. And so, getting ready for this episode, I reread the part of the Siege of Mandalore, and there is so much more than, to it than I remembered. I, I don't know why, but I didn't remember them fighting. I didn't remember her putting the ray shield around Maul. Or, I literally remember like her and Maul standing there facing off with each other and the fight starting. And I, I don't know why, but the rest of it just was not in my head at all. So when I reread it this past week, I was like, holy cow, there's a lot of the Siege of Mandalore in here. Like, we actually get a lot more of it than I thought we did, in retrospect. Do you think that we're going to see a one-to-one when we get the Clone Wars series? Because Filoni was a, a major part of this book. Um, E.K. Johnson ran everything by him. Um, not to get necessarily, like, yes, you're allowed to do this, but to get, like, hey, does this fit with Ahsoka's story? Is this yeah. what she would do? You know, because it's you know his character more than more than anybody else so do you think we're going to get kind of a one-to-one when we get the siege of mandalore in season seven i do and i can't remember where i saw this it might have been at celebration actually but if i remember correctly she dave filoni had actually done the storyboarding for the siege of mandalore already so E.K. Johnston was privy to those drawings when she wrote those scenes, if I remember correctly. That sounds so right. I think because, yeah, I think because of that, it's going to be a pretty good chance we get that one-to-one shot. So then let's theorize, because that, we're Star Wars fans, and that's what we do. Um, my theory going into to the Clone Wars Season 7 is that we're going to get the Utapau arc, we're going to get the Bad Batch arc, which we've seen the rough animations of already. Mm-hmm. They were released uh, on StarWars.com, and I'm sure they're still uh, somewhere if you want to want to watch them. Uh, but then, of course, we're going to get the Siege of Mandalore. I'm thinking the Siege of Mandalore has got to be 
a solid three or four of the 12 or so episodes that we're going to get. So my theory of how they end season seven of the Clone Wars is the scene at the grave. And you see Ahsoka and Rex at the grave and Ahsoka putting her lightsabers down. And you get a hug very similar to how they reunite in Rebels. And then they both just slowly walk away and the fog descends and you cut to credits with a slow Imperial March. Dun, 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 dun. Clone Wars logo right Yeah. I would prefer that, but I think what we would have happen, I'm going to guess it is going to end almost minutes before where Revenge of the Sith picks up. Oh, I think this goes over over Revenge of the Sith. I hope it does, but I think it's going to end with us seeing Anakin and Obi-Wan on their way to, quote-unquote, save the Chancellor. That could be cool. The So, the impression that... But I prefer your version. <laughs> I mean, it is just, like, pure theorizing. It's fun. Like, if it doesn't happen that way, whatever, I'm going to take the story they give me. Yeah, and we're I'm, not putting money on it. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. But um, I would like to just remind everybody that this is recorded. It will be on the internet, so when it happens, I'm going to come back and throw it in everybody's face. Just, just be prepared. Because <laughs> the internet lives forever. Exactly. Um, I... I I got the impression that the Siege of Mandalore happens parallel to them going, going to save the Chancellor, right? Because the reason that she goes to to Mandalore instead of Anakin and Obi-Wan is because the Chancellor was captured, which now that I think about it, do you, so I think the Chancellor got captured, obviously, to to advance the war. Uh, to lure Anakin in to to kill Dooku, to open up that spot for him, right? Right. But what if it was just as much to get Ahsoka away from Anakin and to kill Ahsoka? You know, because he said he has other uses for Maul, which is why he doesn't kill him. So what if, what if Palpatine's intention was as much to send Ahsoka to Mandalore for her to die as it was for... Anakin to kill Dooku because I mean you let it so I have a I have a a, a three strike system that I that I look at in in a fall of a character right um and it kind of centers around Anakin he loses three of the most important people or excuse me the most important females in his life he loses his mom he loses Padme he loses Ahsoka right but Ahsoka doesn't fully die so he doesn't really get that third strike which would completely and his hope, you know? Um, and so he's able to come back. But, oh man, I can't get this out of my head now. Anyways, what do you think about it? About Palpatine and, and his intentions with the Siege of Mandalore slash the beginning of Revenge of the Sith? I don't know, only because I feel like if he really and truly had that gripe with Ahsoka... I don't think she would have made it that long. But I don't think it's necessarily that he has a gripe with her. I think it's if she dies, that has a huge impact on pushing Anakin to the dark side, right? Because his whole thing is he wants to protect the ones that he loves. He can't protect his mom. He is the reason that Padme dies. Um, And then if Ahsoka were to actually die, 
and him to have that confirmation, I think that's a huge mark for him. I don't know. I'm not totally sold. It's a cool concept. And I like the thought. I'm just not totally sold that it's where his head would be and what his main motives would be. That's fair. Could be something that we get in more confirmation of in season seven because, like, yeah, yeah. You know. I think as we get closer, we'll get it a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. I actually have a theorizing question for you that is going to bring a little bit of a dark twist to the Ahsoka novel. Okay, I'm always down for a dark twist. Oh, okay. Star Wars is tragedy, okay. so as was, the Sky Doctors would say. I was hesitant to even bring it up just because. This is such a good book, and it seems to have such a happy ending. Um, with the exception of, like I said before, I really love the relationships that this book builds. So for Ahsoka to just be like, yeah, I'll drop you guys off on Alderaan, see you later, and that be it, was borderline hurtful. Um, but overall, all right, here's my question. So she drops him off on Alderaan, Bail takes him in as refugees, all is well. He mentions all these other war refugees being displaced and how Alderaan's taking them on. Do you think that this was all in vain and 19 years later, everyone who she saved just died on Alderaan and would have been better off staying on the moon of Rada? Yes and no. I think, I don't think it's in vain. Because it's kind of a quality of life versus quantity of life thing, right? If you're, okay. li- if you're living your whole life in just complete and utter misery, you know, five years of that is, is enough, you know, or, or whatever. Um, whereas she's giving them a chance to, to live a life that they actually want to live, which has a lot more value. But I have no doubt in my mind that Ahsoka sensed Alderaan being destroyed. Um, I think that that explosion would have had a massive impact on the dark side and her being on Malachor is going to have a, a, a huge, huge impact on her. Um, and we know, you know, through Obi-Wan that you can hear those voices shouting and then, you know, just disappear. Well, he doesn't have any connection, real deep connection with anybody on that planet. He's connected with Bale, you know, because of Leia and, and the experiences in the Clone Wars. But that's more of a, for lack of a better term, a business relationship. Whereas these Ahsoka and, and all these people from Rada become friends. They almost become family to some extent. Um, I think that would have, I think it would have crushed her. I think it would have crushed her. Absolutely. And it shows the strength of the character that she, you know, she was able to get up from that, right? Yeah, but we don't see her, though, after Alderaan gets destroyed. Yes, we do. We see her in the end of Rebels. And she's Ahsoka the White. She comes back. She's she's got a new Yeah, but we don't really, like, know her at that point. And there's no way that 19 years beforehand she could have known that this was going to happen. I don't think she knew it was going to happen. No, 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 no. I I think that it just would have had a major, major impact on her because she has that personal connection. I would like to see at some point in the 19 years that they're still around for her to go back once or twice 
and continue those relationships just so we could really understand the full impact that it had. Yeah. No, I, I think that would be awesome. Again, we need a Fulcrum comic series. So badly. It Please be, give it to us. It would be so good. Uh, okay, so there's one more major thing that we would be remiss if we didn't talk about, and that is the, the Kyber Crystal lore that we got in this book. Oh, so because, important. So... For those of you who who maybe haven't read uh, read the book um, and are, are listening to our podcast to get any information about it, sorry. Um, sorry. <laughs> this is just this is just an hour of us going, "Hey, Ahsoka's cool. Yeah, Ahsoka's great." Um, so, Kyber crystals became kind of a major thing around the Rogue One time because they are, of course, what is used to fire the Death Star. They're what uh, Galen Erso was studying that got the Empire to to basically kidnap and, and imprison him, um, which led to everything with Jin and yada, yada, yada. You've seen the movie. But this is the first time that we really get that lens into the, the Kyber Crystals. And in the old expanded universe, the Sith had synthetic crystals. Um, I personally have not really gotten to any uh, lore as far as the Kyber Crystals in my read of the Expanded Universe that I'm slowly but surely going through. Uh, but but it's kind of like one of those Wikipedia things. You just kind of know um, that they have these synthetic crystals. And personally, to me, that's kind of like, mm, okay, like, yeah, they, they made these crystals, and I guess you could do that because it's technology. But to get what we get here, to get the fact that a Sith has to take a Jedi's kyber crystal and has to make it bleed, to, has to basically corrupt it to get that crimson red of the Sith is mind-blowingly important. Mind-blowingly. And just to reiterate, too, even though we saw it in the Vader comic, this came out much earlier. Oh, yeah. So this is the first time that we're really learning about this and it's being confirmed. Well, and here's where it got me thinking, okay? We get in the Vader comic how Vader gets his, his Kyber crystal, okay? Mm-hmm. Ky- I mean, it was, fine. It, was, it was a very well-told story. I would have liked it better if he had gotten it from somebody we had some kind of connection to, but it is what it is. We can assume that the Inquisitors probably just used their own lightsaber crystals because they were former Jedi, um, and they broke those because they're, of course, not supposed to be as powerful as Vader and probably couldn't have corrupted uh, an actual Jedi uh, kyber crystal, right? They, ha- they would have a little more control over their personal crystal. But the place that this really brought me to immediately as soon as I read the book is Kylo Ren. Yep. Because we know he has a cracked kyber crystal. It's confirmed in the visual dictionary. It's pretty, I mean, pretty obvious that something's up with his lightsaber, uh, you know, because it's not normal. And it's, uh, guys, the crystal's not fully, uh, fully bloodied, beaten, whatever term you want to put on there, because Kylo Ren's going to be redeemed. This is when I knew that Kylo Ren was going to be redeemed was when I read the Ahsoka novel. Interesting. See, for me, with the Kylo Ren Kyber crystal thing, it was more of the fact that it was cracked. So it was like he couldn't even fully make it bleed without destroying it. So it's like his heart's never fully in the dark side. Exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. Um, I do think, though, the other key element, though, isn't just that they can make it bleed. It's that what Ahsoka is able to do in almost healing it and creating those those white lightsabers. Oh, my God, I love them. So good. Oh, my do God, you- so good. And there's, there's like, the passages in this book, too, where um, Caden, from Caden's point of view, she's, like, describing how Ahsoka looks with them. And it's like, you know, she just emulates power when she has them. And it looks like, you know, once you see her with the white lightsabers, it's like, yeah, of course that's that's who she is. Like you can't picture her without it after that. And I think that yeah, the visual's really stunning, but then the thought behind it that she's able to take these crystals that were bleeding and fix them shows one how powerful she is in the forest, but two just how genuinely pure she is. And I'm not going to say the term we disagree on, Grey Jedi. But that's going to be a whole nother discussion on the main Clashing Sabers podcast. Um, but I think the just the sheer fact that she can stop these crystals from bleeding shows she is one of a kind in the Force. Absolutely. And so we got the the actual introduction of the White Lightsabers in Rebels first, right? That. Visually, yes, okay. but not the explanation. So, so yeah. Number one, I absolutely love this. Number two, I want a ton more information on what it takes to heal the crystal and why she's capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, like actual like exploration into the lore. Number three, I hope we never find out. Because I really want Ahsoka to be the only one that has white lightsabers. Hundred percent, I do, and I I think I would like to find out not so much how it's done or why she's the only one able to do it, but how she knew it would be possible. And I think one one really cool thing about this too is they mentioned she had been to Ilum three times as a Jedi, yeah. which is pretty rare in and of itself. So the fact that she had been called there three times should immediately tell us something about her connection with these crystals and her connection to the force. And also just a real quick nod to EK Johnston for working the plot of rogue one. So seamlessly into this book without it being distracting. Um, so shout out to that, but just the fact that she was called to Ilum three times and she so knew what to look for and what to listen for. I don't want her connection to be totally explained I just want to know how she knew it was possible. Yeah, and it's one of those those Star Wars things, right? That it answers one question, but but it gives you twenty more, yeah. um, which is which is part of what's fun about Star Wars. And not only did she weave in Rogue One, but I think really she wove in the Force Awakens, even beyond the Kylo Ren connection. Ilum is Starkiller Base. Like it's not confirmed, confirmed. But on the galactic maps, it's in the same spot. It's a it's a snow planet, right? Like big force things are happening there. It, it just admit it, guys. It's it, it's Ilum. If you don't believe it, then you'll believe it by episode yeah. nine, let's, maybe. Uh, let's hear know. a different theory. I think yeah. I'm going to stick with that theory until someone puts a better one in its place. Yeah, that's the best way to say it. So there's definitely that connection. Uh, connection there and of course we see how the planet is being has just been 
completely t- torn apart, um, pun intended. Uh, and so that would fit with with Star Killer also. I think what this this says about Ahsoka is is just like you said, she is unique in the Force. She is. Everybody says Qui-Gon Jinn is the the prototype Jedi, and I think he was the best of the Jedi in the prequel eras. But I think Ahsoka is the best version of what a Jedi can be up until Luke Skywalker in those last moments on uh, the second Death Star. I think she is... Well, she's, Not a, she's a great... something totally different, you know, in well, one of her conversations with Bale when he's talking about, you know, she says, I'm no Jedi, and he says something along the lines of, well, you're still acting like one, what are you then? And to paraphrase, she goes, you know, I'll let you know when I figure it out. And I think it goes back to that three-act structure where she has her main goal and she's able to incorporate so many different things into that. She's able to incorporate her being just a civilian and her being a military commander and her being a former Jedi Padawan all into one to create something greater. So I would say that, yeah, Qui-Gon was really the archetype of what a Jedi should be. And she just saw that the Jedi were flawed and she can do better. So she was better than any Jedi ever could be. Yeah, that's, that's the best way to put it. And that's also why I, even though I don't, believe in gray jedi period end of story but theoretically as a hypothetical if gray jedi did exist ahsoka is not a gray jedi because a gray jedi implies equally light and equally dark and ahsoka is not dark side in any way shape or form i just don't see it ahsoka and if you don't believe it like look at the colors that she turns the lightsabers the lightsabers are white. White is the color of peace and hope and purity and newness, right? Of rebirth. That's not something that somebody who has a little bit of dark side in them ends up with. If Mace Windu goes and repairs a, a crimson kyber crystal, it's turning purple. Oh, wait. He's already got a purple one. <laughs> Just saying. Ahsoka is not a gray Jedi. Not only because gray Jedi don't exist, but there is no dark side in Ahsoka. I'll agree with the latter point, but the former point we'll table for another time. That's a whole another hour long discussion there. It's going to be an hour of me going, no, 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 no. Oh, man. But, but, but. It's going to be great audio, guys. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be like (laughs) some. It'll sound like a remix. (laughs) (laughs) We'll put some Star Wars hip hop remix behind it. No. Did you ever hear? um, It's on SoundCloud. It's called Life After Death Star, and it takes John Williams' score and puts it in with Biggie Smalls tracks. It's so good. Um, that is literally my favorite thing in the whole wide world. It's that that I guess album is just incredible. I will link it in the show notes because it is everything you ever hoped for. It doesn't disappoint. I am a, this is like the whitest thing I've ever said in my life, but I am a huge hip hop fan. Um, But I'm very particular about who I'll listen to. Like you actually have, I don't just listen for the beat. You have to actually say something, which is why I don't like a lot of the music 
I shouldn't say that. It's why I don't like any of the music that's out today, except for when Eminem drops a new album, because they people used to say something, and Biggie Smalls had something Hence to say. The rapper does. I love him. He says something with the with the music. Yeah, I'm kind of. I need to. I need to open myself up and and branch out a little more. Um, but I think that there there is a great connection there between. Not just do the sounds work so well together, but Biggie Smalls was a groundbreaker, right? He kind of took everything to the next level. And Star Wars is that that story that took what Jaws did for the blockbuster and really just exploded it out of out of this world, right? And Biggie Smalls and Tupac and the M&Ms of the world and, and stuff took what NWA did and just exploded it out into the world. Life After Death Star, guys. It's a great album. Um, you know what? I got to hand it to us. In one podcast, we were able to tie in the real groundbreakers of the Rebellion, the flaws of the Jedi, and Biggie Smalls. You know what? I'm an overachiever. What can I say? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the perfect podcast. <laughs> because it. It's about Ahsoka. Look no more. <laughs> Look no more. You, you can stop listening to podcasts now. It's it's done. We've it's, given it to you. It's everything you could ever hope for is in this episode. You're welcome. You're welcome, world. All right. Um, excuse me. I've got to go stretch a little bit to keep patting myself on the back. So um, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Um, before we wrap up. It's your, it's your turn to give your rating first. Oh, Okay. See, I think we gotta. I think we gotta change our Lothcats this time. I think we gotta give this a special little flair to it. Oh, I like this. You ready? Go for it. What are we doing? I am going I to give know. this one four white lightsabers. Ooh, four. Now, now, mind you. Now, why not five? Because there are those parts where I still want a little bit more. It's it's. It's more greed than anything, I'll be honest, because there's never enough Ahsoka to satisfy my hunger for more stories with Ahsoka. So, and and I also really don't want some half lightsaber out there because that just seems like a really terrible idea. So we're going to go with four lightsabers. And yeah. All right. What about you? So I'll do three white lightsabers and one yellow. Oh, look at you getting crafty there. Because I want to do the three and a half. I would say because, once again, if you took Ahsoka out of it and just made it literally a nameless Jedi who we hadn't met before and we hadn't seen again and it just went through the same exact storyline, same exact words, everything, I don't think it would be as good. But it's just, it's, it's Ahsoka. I know it's Ahsoka and I love it because it's Ahsoka. Um, still really good, really good book on its own. It's just to me, if you substituted the characters, it doesn't stand as strong. So that's why I would do three and a half. I'll be honest, like if I'm being objective and, and not naturally inserting my Ahsoka bias, this is somewhere in the, the middle range of um, the new canon. Like I think... Leia, Princess of Alderaan, Bloodline, the first two-thirds of Dark Disciple. There's a lot of books that are ahead of it, but 
I'm never disappointed when I read this book. It's it's one of those feel good yeah. books, you know. You just it, feel. It good. reminds me time and time again of the person that I strive to be because I'm a Star Wars fan. You know, it, it yeah. reminds us that I think Star Wars fans get such a bad name because we can be so stupid on the internet. But all in all, when you look at these characters, it's like, yeah, this is who we're about. This is. These are the principles that we try and carry out in our lives. And this, I think, does a really nice job of reminding us of that. Absolutely. That's a perfect way to close out. So in closing, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget about our competition, our contest to win the Qui-Gon Jinn figure. Um, He's not as good as Ahsoka, but he's pretty great. Um, you can follow us on Clashing Sabers on the Twitter, uh, at Clashing Sabers. Email us your thoughts, clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. And, of course, kind of the place we are most active um, is over on our Facebook group, the Clashing Sabers Star Wars community. Uh, that is a, a great place where we kind of interact, we talk, we bring discussions um, and also a super awesome place to come share any content that you are creating. Uh, we really want to know what you're making. What, what Star Wars stuff do you have going on? Whether you're, you're building Lego sets, you're doing paintings, you're doing podcasts, whatever it is, please come over and share because I very intentionally put the word community into the title of our group instead of just saying, you know, Clashing Saber Star Wars or whatever. I really do want this to grow and be a community where uh, we can just actually have civil conversations about this stuff so definitely come over and join us there Lindsay, you want to go ahead and plug your stuff i do um you guys can find me on twitter miss Lindsay g but really where i'd love for you to join me is another facebook group and my instagram my instagram is full for full force Lindsay, and we have a facebook group called fueled by fitness and the force Um, And this is to go along with the campaign that Disney and Lucasfilm are putting out this year called Fuel Your Force, where they're going to be focusing a lot more on fitness and wellness. So what Brendan and I are doing over on Facebook is really encouraging that with a Star Wars focus, of course, but we're giving out points every day to win other cool prizes where you can earn points based on some lifestyle habits that you're starting to implement or you already have implemented. And this is by no means any kind of weight loss challenge. We want this to be very healthy, uh, really focus on the mind-body-spirit connection and doing so in a fun, interactive way. There's a great community there. I don't know about you, Brandon, but I love going on every morning and just seeing the way people are encouraging each other yeah. and their goals and what they're kind of struggling with day to day. And it's just such a great community over there. People really encouraging each other, really love seeing the individual fitness goals everyone has and seeing how I can help it. So that's a project that is very, very close to my heart. So check that out on Facebook. It's Fueled by Fitness and the Force or my Instagram, Full Force Lindsay. Yeah, and just to kind of put a little uh, cherry on top of that, I was a beach body coach for, I don't know, two, three months, and I really thought I wanted to do it and realized I just really hated it because it didn't feel very genuine. Um, because for me, I'm very much, like I said, about building communities and, and supporting other people. And so when we kind of started this endeavor, I was like, okay, you know, like we talked about, we, we had a very real intention with it to not make it just about weight loss, even if certain people's goals are weight loss. 
And I was like, okay, first couple months, we'll kind of have to baby people through, walking through, you know, work through the kinks. Nada. Nope. Uh-uh. Day one, this community was already, like, cheering each other on, helping people through. We have one... I'm blanking on her name right now, and I feel so bad, but she is amazing. This group kind of was a catalyst for her to finally take the leap to start uh, weapons training, martial arts weapons training that she'd been wanting to do for years. And she posted a video and looked like a total badass, and I'm jealous. Yeah, like, so good. Oh, so, so cool. Good. So or cool. even, um, you know, Sarah, who her big thing is flexibility and making sure her yoga practice is really succeeding and seeing how she's pushing through that, even on days when she doesn't necessarily feel like it, such an inspiration, the, the different ways people are putting the, um, putting this into action, I think is so cool. Yeah. So not only is Star Wars great, not only is Ahsoka great, but you're great. Just remember that. If you're listening. And again, we are putting a very Star Wars heavy focus on it. We're looking at mental health every Monday and having some different Star Wars discussions on how we use the characters there to really fuel our mental health as well. So definitely a lot of fun. Check it out, guys. Absolutely. And make sure you stay tuned because this is a teaser. This is what they do on radio to get you to go past the commercial. We have a big announcement coming up soon on the Clashing Sabers Network. I'm not even going to tell you what podcast. You have to listen to all of them. Listen to them all. Do I know what it is? You you do. Okay. It, involve, it involves <laughs> like, you, so I would hope you know what it is. Okay, okay. I, I do know what it is. <laughs> okay. But you're, you're saying it, and I'm like, wait, do I need to? <laughs> I too, because I am. And, he, and here's the other not-so-secret secret. Go listen to episode nine of Forever Star Wars. All right, all right, I'll do it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't burn the sacred text. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff, our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts, they're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and dadgummit, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text.